welcome to the Wonder Your Way Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Neiman. I'm here to help you travel to Europe, to explore off the tourist track destinations, dig a bit deeper into those well-known places, offer up some tips so you can travel with peace of mind, and of course, to share a few stories. It's my hope to inspire you to travel to Europe your way. Yeah, there's no foreign language coming in at you today. That's because we are going to do a little traveling to the UK, the United Kingdom. Specifically, we're going to go into jolly old England. I don't even know if they say that, but I just did. (laughs) They don't say cheerio, which is why I did not say cheerio at the beginning of this. But specifically, we are going to go to the town of Salisbury, England. Now, I want to give a little backstory of how I ended up in Salisbury, and I have to thank a good friend of mine whose husband is from nearby Somerset, and I knew she would probably know the area pretty well since they made frequent trips to England to visit his family. So when I looked and I thought about going to Salisbury and saw that it had a lot of things to offer, I asked her, hey, what's your opinion? Do you think it's a place that I should go? Do you think I would like it? And she was immediately like, yes, it's, I think you'll love it. It's beautiful. There's, you know, this to do and that to do. So she gave me that great advice. It was spot on. I went, I absolutely loved Salisbury. And the reason I tell you this is because when you are planning to go somewhere And as soon as everybody starts finding out you're going to England, they are going to inundate you. Every person that's ever been is going to inundate you with places to go, things to do, sites to go to, towns to see. And you're never going to have enough time, of course, to see everything. And you also just get inundated with information and you don't know, (laughs) you just don't know what to decide. But listen to those people who know you best. In this case, I trusted somebody who was a very, very good friend, is a very good friend of mine, and I knew, knew me, and knew the things that I would like and be interested in, and her recommendation was spot on. So as another tip here, just be sure that when you're listening to people who give you advice, listen to those people who know you best, because that advice is probably 90% of the time going to be pretty spot on. Okay, so you know where we're going to start. We need to place Salisbury on a map. So Salisbury is located in the southwest region of England, and specifically it's in the county of Wiltshire. It's not a very big town. It's got about mm, 40, 45,000 people. So it's just big enough to have enough to offer, but small enough that it's not going to overwhelm you. You can actually get to Salisbury from London in about two hours by train. So it's feasible to do a day trip here, but I'm going to really try to recommend to you and hope that by the end of this podcast, you'll want to at least spend a couple of nights here because I think that there are a couple of key sites that are going to draw you in. And that's where we're going to start. The first site is the very, very famous Stonehenge. You know, those big stones that are in a circle that everybody seems to want to go to. Very famous site. 
it's only about nine or 10 miles outside of Salisbury. So you can see that Salisbury makes a really good base if you want to spend some time at Stonehenge. Now I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I wasn't sure if I was going to go to Stonehenge just because I tend to feel like some of these places get overhyped and then you end up being disappointed with it. I will say that I went to Stonehenge not expecting a lot. So the bar was set low for me. My expectations were low. That's a good way to go into it. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how much I did enjoy it. So you can get to Stonehenge in two ways from Salisbury. You can either drive if you have a car or you can take a tour. So if you don't have a car, it's still very easy easy to get to Stonehenge. There is one tour bus that goes out there and it's called the Stonehenge Tour. Pretty simple. They've got a nice website. You can go in there. You can sign up, pay for your ticket. There is a spot right in the heart of town that you will pick up the bus. It takes you out to Stonehenge. And along the way, you get um, you get headphones. So you get a little commentary about the area. Because the one thing that you'll kind of pass by that you can also visit along with Stonehenge, either on your way out or on your way back, is Old Sarum. And Old Sarum, which unfortunately, I didn't have time to add that onto my tour, but Old Sarum is basically Old Salisbury. And it's just, it's, it's kind of in between Salisbury and Stonehenge. I would highly recommend making that stop. Again, don't fail like I did. It was just a matter of time for me. I just didn't have a ton of time there. But do take the tour bus, the Stonehenge tour, if you don't have a car. And even if you do have a car, it still may be a great way to get out there. Now, once at Stonehenge, and hopefully you've already got your ticket because that's the best way to do it. Again, you'll get your ticket to Stonehenge when you when you get on the, the Stonehenge tour bus. You don't want to miss spending some time in the visitor center. The visitor center is beautiful. It's really informative. I highly recommend it. You can either do the visitor center before you go out to the Stone Circle to actually see Stonehenge, or you can do it when you come back. I did it when I came back. I just felt like it's just a better way for me to process things. That's just my way of doing things. Everybody has their own way. The other thing is you can either take the bus from the visitor center out to Stonehenge, or you can walk. If you can, and the weather is good, I would walk because it's a really pleasant walk just through some fields. It's not taxing. It's not hard. It's not that long, but it's really beautiful, especially if you have good weather. I remember as I was walking out, you can actually see Stonehenge because it kind of sits up on a hill. So as you are walking out, it's kind of cool because you see Stonehenge kind of off in the distance up on the hill. And I have to admit that I remember thinking, okay, I see why people say it may not be that big of a deal because it didn't look all that impressive from, (laughs) from beyond. But once you get up to it, It is pretty impressive, and they really do a nice job of having some little interpretive signs around there if you are going on your own without any sort of guide. Now, the one thing I will tell you is 
you are far away from the stones. They have it roped off, so it's not like you're getting up close and personal with the stones. You can't touch them or anything like that. You're back a pretty good distance, especially on certain sides of it. But you still get a good sense of the size of the stones and what it really meant to the ancient people, and especially once you kind of get that sense of going to the visitor center and seeing all the interpretive things there, it just puts it all together. There are special tours that give you access to the inner circle where you can actually go in and get to know the stones a little up close and personal. I actually had a client who very much wanted to do that. It does cost quite a bit more. You're going to be paying like $150 US for this special access, but you get a great guide who gives you all the information and kind of really makes everything come to life. For my particular client, this was something that she wanted to spend money on. It was important to her. So if you want to do that, you can. I will have some resources to some tour companies that do this. Again, it does cost more. It's you know quite a bit more depending on what your budget is. Again, it's what's important to you, but you can go in. They only do it at certain times of the year and certain days. It's, you know, you really have to time out your trip if you're going to want to do an inner circle tour, but it can be done. However, just for us common folk who are out there on the outside, it's still a, a really cool sight to see. It's totally worth it. It's because it really doesn't cost that much, all things considered, when you get the, you know, the whole feel of the visitor center encompassed with the actual visiting of the stones, because it really is one of those kind of wonders of the world. I know I'm glad that I did decide to go and that I didn't skip it. It was definitely worth it. If you do decide to drive, just, you know, be aware that, you know, there's actually a pretty good sized parking lot. And of course, that means that you will want to go directly to the Stonehenge website to book your ticket in advance. Again, I will have those resources in the show notes. Okay, so the second major site in Salisbury is the cathedral. Now, to me, the cathedral was just, it's absolutely magnificent. It's an English Gothic cathedral. It sits pretty much towards the heart of town, a little bit, you know, it's not a very far walk from the train station or the heart of town. It was built between 1220 and 1258, at least the main part of the building was. Sometimes they kind of finish things off. But that's actually, I mean, that's like, what, 38 years? So that's actually pretty quick by by um, those standards. I mean, so many of the um, cathedrals or other buildings that were architectural structures that were built back then took, you know, like 100 years to do. So that was actually pretty, pretty quick. The really cool thing about Salisbury Cathedral. Well, there's a couple things. The first thing I'm going to mention is the spire, because the spire is actually the tallest in Britain. The spire itself is about 55 meters in height, and then actually from the, you know, from the ground up, it's 123 meters. And I think the idea behind this spire being so tall was just so everybody could see it, right? The other thing that Salisbury Cathedral has that I'm going to get to after we talk about the cathedral itself, is that it houses the Magna Carta. 
We're going to get to that. Let's start just with a little bit. I just want to give you a little bit of the features of the cathedral. And number one is even as you kind of walk in that main entrance, you're just going to see all these like apostles and philosophers and that on the facade of the building. So do take a few moments and look at it before you walk in because there's like some 73 statue, statues that are in like these little niches, niches, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, angels and you know, people from the Old Testament and philosophers. So it's kind of cool to kind of just like look at all the statues and all that work that I feel like goes into a lot of these these old churches and these old cathedrals. I just think it's beautiful. When you go in and you go in the nave, this is probably one of my favorite parts of Salisbury Cathedral because it's actually a pretty narrow and it's a little bit longer and I think it's taller and narrower than a lot of the other um, English Gothic cathedrals. And, you know, between the the pillars, you'll kind of notice there's some tombs here and there. The one thing that is a little controversial that's in the nave is it's a, it's got a kind of a modern baptismal font that was actually installed in 2008. And some people kind of think it's maybe a little, I don't know, maybe too modern. Um, it actually replaced something that I think was a little bit more kind of neo-Gothic. And I actually really like it. Um, water kind of flows out the corners and it kind of goes down into like the floor. And I guess they've got like a whole plumbing system kind of underneath there. I actually really liked it and felt like it fit. I guess other people just maybe feel like it doesn't fit. I liked it. I also, as a photographer, liked it because you had this pretty kind of cool rectangular reflecting pool that reflected, you know, you could see like the 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 gothic arches in the in the water. So I kind of had a lot of fun playing with it that way. I thought it was really beautiful. So that's just me. Everybody might have their own opinion and that's fair enough. So the choir part is going to be the part that when you go in, it'll probably roped off. You'll see kind of where the where there are um, some pews in there. Uh, you'll probably see like a piano, maybe an organ. Um, this is a spot, though, that you're going to want to get into because in the evening, they have something called Evensong. Now, I'll hook you up with the the website for the cathedral so that you can plan your visit accordingly. But basically what Evensong is, is it's about a maybe a 30-minute religious ceremony that is primarily song. So you have a choir in there, and they're singing a lot of it. And so you have all these beautiful voices in this really old cathedral, this high gothic ceiling and these beautiful voices just all coming together and singing. It is just such a moving experience. You don't have to be religious. I certainly am not, but I have been to Evensong both there and at the York Minster in York, England, and it's such an amazing experience. It'll almost move you to tears because it's just so beautiful. They typically do this 5, 5.30 in the evenings. So it's a good idea to queue up a little bit beforehand because there's only so many people that get in. And if you're going, obviously, at a busier time as far as a lot of people are traveling, if it's high season, you're going to have a harder time 
getting a seat. So you want to be sure that you get a seat. It is well worth, you know, waiting in line for a half hour, getting your your spot in line. If you're traveling with a group, you can have one person hold your space. But do try to time out your visit to the cathedral so that you can stay for Evensong. It is absolutely stunning. I just, it's, you can see I'm having a hard time finding words. It's such a beautiful experience. The other part of the cathedral that I mentioned is the Magna Carta. Now, the Magna Carta sits in an area of the cathedral called the Chapter House. Now, the Chapter House in and of itself is really a, a beautiful building with a lot of stained glass. But this document, if you don't know anything about the Magna Carta, it dates back to, I believe, about 1215. And there are several copies of it, but this happens to be probably the best preserved copy that exists anymore. I think there's only four remaining copies of the original copies, and this is the best preserved. You have to kind of queue up to go into what I call the little circus tent, because that's kind of what it looks like. It's very dark in there. They have it under glass. It's very dark. It's kind of hard to see, but you get to go in and take your turn and go in and look at this incredible document. Now, what exactly is the Magna Carta? Well, it was kind of that document that came out well before something like the U.S. Constitution, but it really kind of served as foundation for the idea of of like individual freedom and the rights of ordinary people. Because of course, this is back when there are kings and queens and the whole like, oh, this person has divine power from God above. Well, this kind of went against that a little bit. So it was a very progressive document for its time. I mean, think about it back in the 1200s, even in the 15 and 1600s, we weren't seeing a lot of that just yet. But it really emphasized that the ordinary everyday person, not not the nobility, also had, you know, their own freedom, their own rights. So it it served and really it really influenced, you know, the American colonists and, you know, the French Revolution. So the Magna Carta, like for me, I went in there and I'm I'm pretty sure I spent more time. I was gawking at it. I just thought, first of all, it's this old document. If anybody's ever any Americans or even people that have visited the states have gone in and looked at something like the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, those are mesmerizing to me because there are still like they've been able to preserve these these old documents. This thing is even older. Think about it. 1215 is the approximate time. It's old and it's actually still this copy is in pretty pretty good shape it's highly highly impressive so do not miss the magna carta which is in the chapter house of the salisbury cathedral so what else is there to do in salisbury well i highly recommend even just walking around the grounds um, of the cathedral they call it the cathedral close c-l-o-s-e looks like clothes, right? Basically, it's just the grounds that are around the cathedral. And usually there's some sort of maybe walls around there. In fact, there is one area where I knew you can walk through a gate. The one thing that you'll notice is there are a couple of museums around. And there happens to also be a college within the close. And that college, Sarum College, and it's actually a theological college. So you might see some students wondering about 
between the train station and the cathedral, you'll see a garden called Queen Elizabeth Gardens. Now, I didn't get a chance to spend any time here. It would definitely be something that I would go back and explore. They look like they're just lovely gardens. There's some, um, there's a couple of little streams and rivers kind of going through there. I can imagine that in spring and summer when the flowers are in bloom, it would be really beautiful. There's some trails going through there. So it might be a great place if you're spending a few nights, if you want to get some takeaway and maybe go sit in the gardens and eat your dinner or your lunch, it'd be a great spot for that. And I'm sure it's going to be a good place for you to kind of check out the locals because parks are always a good place where the locals are going to go. You're also going to want to check out There is a path along the River Avon, which kind of runs through town. I was on the trail for part of the time, just I think I happened to just happen upon it, but it runs right through town and there are some paths that run along the the river. So that's going to be a really nice place for you to just get out and take a walk. Do take a wander down. There's a narrow street and I think it has a couple of different names. It may be called butcher row or fish row. It's probably because this is where all the the people who were either fishmongers or your butchers way back in the day, that's probably where all their stores were. But it's a narrow street. So it's kind of one of those fun kind of narrow streets to cobblestone lanes to kind of wander down. And of course, you'll probably find some places to eat and drink. When I was there, I happened upon some sort of festival. This was in early June, I believe. And they had, there, there's a, just to the other side of this street, there is a town square, if you will. And they had some sort of, I don't know if it was a battle of the bands or something, but they had some bands playing. And it happened to be a pretty nice day. So I just sat out at one of the, the local pubs. I got a pint of cider and I sat out and I was able to kind of connect a little bit with some of the locals and kind of chit chat with some of the locals. So that was a lot of fun. That's the one thing that I really like about Salisbury is it's small. And, you know, yeah, you have a couple of these really big sites, but it also has that really kind of authentic workaday, everyday kind of feel to it so that it's not so inundated with just more tourists than locals. I felt like the locals far outnumbered the tourists, even in early June. There are just a lot of good places to go wander around and see the different architecture because, of course, it's it's England. So much is old, especially in the heart of town. There are stone gates to kind of go through because it used to be a walled town. So I think that's kind of really cool is to be able to just kind of all of a sudden you're stumbling across there and and there you are going under an archway. I will give a couple tips here. I will highly, highly recommend staying at Cathedral View B&B. It's in a great location. It's actually kind of right across the way from the cathedral. So it's very easy to get to the cathedral and it's very easy then to get into town. Great place to stay, uh, fairly reasonably priced great hosts. The other thing that I will recommend is to definitely spend some time in that main square. I think it's called Marketplace, as there are some places around there where you can get something to eat or drink. 
there may be some better places to get something to eat, but places like the Market Inn or the Oxrow Inn are good places to have a drink, especially if it's a nice day because they have places to sit outside and it's where a lot of the locals go. So it was just kind of fun and festive. Like I said, there was you know some sort of event kind of going on over the weekend that I was there. So it would be a good place to at least maybe stop and have a drink, especially if you have nice weather. So to me, Salisbury, yeah, you have these two big sites and they are definitely worthy of some time. But I also think just kind of being in a place that, you know, has this kind of nice historical, historic center, has kind of nice workaday, everyday kind of feeling to it. Salisbury is a really nice place to visit, at least for a couple of days. You could base yourself there, see Stonehenge, see the cathedral and the Magna Carta, because you don't want to miss that. And you could probably go out into the countryside from there too, especially, you know, if you are driving because there are some nature preserves nearby, there's going to be more small towns, beautiful rural small towns that England is famous for. So it could be a place that you'd want to base yourself for more than a few nights, um, depending on what else you want to go and see. My feeling is that two or three nights here would be perfect. I was there for two nights, I believe, and it felt like the right amount of time for me to be able to take in the cathedral, get a feel for the town, see Stonehenge. I probably could have stayed one more night and, you know, been able to really see a little bit more of the town and the Queen Elizabeth Gardens and maybe even be able to make some time to see Old Serum. So don't do a day trip here, I guess, is what my advice would be. I think some people probably do that so that they can see Stonehenge and the cathedral and you could certainly do all that in jam-packed day. But I think being able to really experience Salisbury like in the afternoon, sitting down and having a drink somewhere, especially if the weather's nice, being able to wander around, walk along the river, being able to explore more of the cathedral grounds and the cathedral close, and being able to maybe even have that time to connect with the locals is a better way to go. So if you want some more information on this incredible town in southwestern England, do head over to Wonder Your Way slash Salisbury England for the show notes. I've got some great resources there, including some links to some places to stay or to go eat and drink and be merry. (laughs) Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so yet. Just hit that subscribe button. Be sure you're sharing it with all your itchy-feeted friends. Is that a word? Itchy-feet people. Your friends that have itchy feet that want to go travel like we all do right now because we can't go anywhere because it's February 2021 as I record this and the pandemic is still going on. So um, subscribe. Leave me a review if you can. I would love to read a review from you. It's fun to see how I'm doing. Like I said, um, this is a new endeavor, so be kind, please. Constructive criticism is always welcome, though. Until next time, happy travels. 